Please pray with me. Father, we give you thanks that on this glorious morning that we have reason to celebrate. We have reason to celebrate the fact that you did not abandon us to sin and death, but came to us, taking on the form of human flesh, to live among us, to die as one of us, to be raised to new life. And Father, I pray for those of us whose hearts have grown cold, that as we open up your scriptures this morning, that you would awaken us by your Holy Spirit, that we would see afresh the wondrous mystery of the incarnation, and that we would be transformed by a glimpse of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy that each of you are here this morning. This past week, my son and I were on a walk between our home and the church here, and we got into a deep discussion, a philosophical discussion, you might say, on the very nature of gifts and what exactly constitutes a good gift. And the nature of the debate was presence, stuff, versus experiences, Trips. We have some friends that decided to forego all presents and toys for their kids and instead took them on a beach vacation. And I was arguing, of course, in favor of this. My son was not convinced. And throughout the debate, he kept saying, and, and one more thing, whenever I felt like I had the last word, he would say, Dad, what about this? What about this facet? What about this factor? And his final thought was that what if we are given a gift that we remember forever? Wouldn't that be worth more than a trip? And before I responded, but one more thing, and kept the debate going endlessly, I stopped and began to think about that. And I've been thinking this past week about the nature of gifts. What is it exactly that makes a gift memorable? That makes it something that we think about and value as our lives go on? And what I've come away with reflecting on this is that the nature of the gift matters a great deal, but so does the way that we've been given it, and maybe even more so. I want you to think for just a moment about the most memorable gift that you've ever been given. Go ahead. You can close your eyes if that helps, but think about it for a moment. I think the two greatest gifts that I've ever been given were predictably both instruments. I'll tell you about both of them. The first was, I was 16 years old. I'd been playing the guitar for about four years. Was still fairly, you know, fairly, mostly a novice at it. But I did need an upgrade from my pawn shop special. And my hope was that I would get something like a Fender. Or maybe an Alvarez, for those of you who know the guitar world. But what I got instead was a Taylor 714 with Rosewood back and sides, a spruce top. It was essentially the Red Rider BB gun of Christmas guitar gifts. It was the Holy Grail. And it was such a surprise because, again, I was expecting something that was kind of, you know, the next level up. And what I got instead was this gift that just absolutely blew me away. The second was similar. Uh, I had briefly mentioned to my wife that I might be interested in having a Dobro or a Resonator guitar. I'd been playing slide for a couple of years and thought that that could be nice. And I think I mentioned it in the summertime, in June or July. And my wife, for the last gift of Christmas, walks out with this beautiful Dobro. I was shocked. 
so surprised. I couldn't believe that she'd remembered it. My expectations had been here, and they were so far exceeded. It was undeserved. It was extravagant. And again, you can probably think about your gifts, whether they have been gifts, presents, toys, that sort of thing, or whether they've been trips or experiences, that, that probably what made them most memorable was how they were given. Was it something that exceeded your expectations? Was it a surprise? And of course, I'm not just talking about the joys of thoughtful consumerism this morning. It's Christmas Day. And so we are here to reflect on the great surprise of Christmas, the incarnation, the word made flesh, the gift of Jesus Christ. In St. Paul's letter to Titus, he does a wonderful job, we just heard it read, talking about the wonder of this gift. And so I invite you to turn with me to Titus 3. If you don't have your own Bible, you can turn to page 998 in your pew Bible. Very briefly, the book of Titus was written by Paul, and he's writing to a young leader in the church in Crete. It appears that Paul had planted a series of churches in Crete and had left Titus in charge of them. And he's encouraging him here to set up and establish leadership. And the thrust of the book is that for leaders in the church of Jesus Christ, both the teaching and their practice must be in line. Both their theology and their ethics must be godly. They must be Christ-like. And so the immediate context of our passage this morning is, I think, best summed up in uh, chapter, or verse 11 of chapter 2. And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God in salvation is the great surprise of Christmas. The word, therefore, appearing is the word that we get our English word for epiphany. It's something that comes out of nowhere, as it were. It is a great surprise. And when we reflect on Christmas, on the wonders of the incarnation, who could have predicted that it would come out the way it did? Who would have thought that it would happen with an angel sending a message to a young virgin? That this son of God would be born not in a king's palace, but in a stable, laid in a manger, who would have guessed that the first messengers, the first evangelists of this king would be poor, lowly shepherds? Who would have thought? Of course, prophets foretold this. There were inklings, right? There were glimpses of it. But it's still so very surprising. It was so long in coming and the time was so dark. Christmas, friends, is the great surprise of human history. J.R.R. Tolkien came up with this word, eucatastrophe. And it's essentially when in stories, at the very last moment, when all is lost, when all is dark, a catastrophe happens in a good way. You is just good, a good catastrophe. And he has this to say about Christmas. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. He goes on to say the resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story, this Christmas story begins and ends in joy. 
This is the great surprise of Christmas. And so I want to talk about two things from Titus 3, two reasons that this Christmas gift is such a great surprise. And the first is that it is a gift that is given to those who do not deserve it. In verse 3 of chapter 3, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He covers a lot there, right? This gift of Christmas is a surprise because it is not given exclusively to the pious. It's not given to the holy. It's not given to the religious elites. Look at the list. It's given to the bad, to the no good, to the scoundrels. And thank God that our Savior is not like Santa with his various lists and such. Naughty and nice. This gift of grace is given to those who deserve it the least. In case there was any question in verse 5, Paul reminds them that the grace that has appeared to them is not based on any of their works of righteousness. It's not because of their adherence to the law, to the Torah. It's not because of their faithfulness to the God of Israel. It's because of his goodness and loving kindness towards them. And how wonderfully absurd is this? How delightfully scandalous that this surprise is given not to the great, but to poor teenagers, to lowly shepherds, to pagan wise men, and later to tax collectors, to prostitutes, to the blind, to the deaf, and to the lame. This surprise The surprising gift is given to the least, to the lost, to the destitute, and it is given to us. As Tim Keller has so well said, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we have ever dared to hope. This great surprise of Christmas is given to us, the undeserving. Next, the great surprise of Christmas is that it's given in such extravagance. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This gift of God is surprising in that it is not meager. It is not barely enough. This is not subsistence, living. Take note of God's attention and care. The word for loving kindness there is where we get our word philanthropy. The love of humans. It speaks to God's faithfulness to his covenant people. His intentional care toward them and toward us. This gift is abundant. It's overflowing. It is rich. It is expansive. Look at all the words that are used there. Poured out richly. Heirs. Eternal life. 
is, of course, not just forgiveness. It's not just liberty. It's not just cleansing. All of these images of salvation apply here, not just one. We are washed by the Holy Spirit, forgiven of sins. We are renewed. God's grace has been poured out richly upon us. We are not only justified, that is made right in the heavenly court according to the law, but we are also heirs. We are children. We are inheritors of the promised land that God has promised to us. And more than that, we are invited to share in the life of the triune God. This surprising gift is given in such remarkable extravagance. And for that reason, this gift of grace that we celebrate here today is so delightfully wonderful that it must be shared. Verse 1 and verse 8. Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. This gift of God's grace that comes to us, so surprising, must be shared. The entire nature of this book and the very entire nature of this passage is aimed at outsiders. He calls them, because of the gift of Christ, to be focused on those, to be given themselves to good works, to be good citizens, good neighbors, good friends. This is a good gift that must be shared with all. Friends, this gift of grace has appeared to us. And I invite us to be surprised anew today. Amen.